Good morning, church. I am. Uh, I'm glad to see you all here this morning. I'm glad you all came. Um, I was a little bit afraid nobody show up, and you know, well, if, if I had to stand up here for the next hour and a half and just talk to myself, it'd kind of be awkward. Um, but well, maybe maybe not quite an hour and a half. But um, <laughs> um, thank you, thank you. I. Um, I want to talk to you today about a topic um, that is presented repeatedly in Scripture that's not very fun. Um, it's one that, that I probably would not have chosen by myself, um, not on my own at least, but, but it's really a topic that I felt led toward today. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough subject. Uh, which is part of the reason that I probably wouldn't have chosen it myself. Um, but I find over and over and over again that 
when I have these opportunities, and I do look forward to it, even though I get nervous, I worry, but um, I do look forward to these opportunities, but, but I realize over and over again that when it happens, most often the, the thing that I get, get directed, led um, to talk about is something that's going to stretch me out too. Uh, something that might take me outside of my comfort zone. So that's kind of where we are today. Um, it's a really important topic, and it's a topic really that does and has over the years kept a lot of people from choosing to follow Jesus. Um, it's a topic that can be easily misunderstood, um, but again, it's a topic that's mentioned often in Scripture. Matter of fact, I Googled it yesterday and found out that according to Google, this particular topic is mentioned more than 600 times in Scripture, with um, more than a third of those being in the New Testament, so bear that in mind. Um, but really, the, the understanding of this particular topic is one that that should serve to increase our desire, to encourage our desire to have a right relationship with God. So the thing that I want to talk to you today about is God's wrath, um, God's anger. You know, not, not something that we would really prefer to think about, and there's a lot of different reasons for that, but, but again, it is an important concept. Um, we talk a lot about God's love, and, and there's no doubt that that is a huge concept in Christianity for sure. But the fact is that even though God's love is as big as it is, God's love is so big for us that that does not remove his wrath. That doesn't remove his intolerance for sin. Um, so I mentioned last Sunday as we were beginning the service that this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, and uh, that is the traditional beginning of the Lenten season. Um, and Lent, if, if you're not familiar with that idea, is, is a 40-day season, um, 40 days not including Sundays, leading up to Easter Sunday. Um, and it's intended to be a time for us to consider Easter, consider what the cross means, consider the empty tomb, make preparations in our heart for that event, for the celebration of Easter. Um, it, it, it's, it's a you know, which Easter is the time when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Um, but there's one thing about it. Easter is when we, we go there to the empty tomb and, and we celebrate the fact that the tomb was indeed empty on that morning so long ago. But on the way to the tomb, we have to pass by the cross. On the way to the tomb, we have to go by the cross. And that was the place where Jesus was tortured. He was tortured and, and died a, a horribly gruesome death, um, and he did that for the forgiveness of our sins. So in reality, there's no greater display of God's wrath than the penalty for sin that was inflicted on Jesus as he hung there on that cross and died. Um, so while the cross stands for us as an emblem of God's wrath, um, understanding why Jesus did they, uh, died there and, and what Jesus did there, um, it should really serve to make it an even a, a bigger emblem of God's love for us. Um, Jesus died there on that cross. He, he did what he did there. He died such a, a, a horrible death there so that humanity, so that, that we might have an opportunity to be restored into a right relationship with God um, so that all who believe in him might not have to be subject to God's wrath for eternity. Now, as I sat down to write all this out, um, I wrote this next sentence. Um, I wrote that I didn't intend for this to be one of those classic hellfire and brimstone kind of messages, um, but I'm afraid by the time I got it done, it might have turned out that way. Um, but that's not my goal. Um, you know, those old messages like that, those old hellfire and brimstone messages, they, they kind of tended to encourage people to find a Christian relationship by means of fear. Um, and that's a powerful motivator, no doubt. Um, but it's much more important for us to understand God's love. Um, but God is, is an awesome God. He is a God of wrath, but more importantly, he's a God of love. And that's really the point of what I want to talk about today. Uh, and one of the best ways, quite often, I, I find that one of the best ways for us to understand a concept that sometimes might be difficult to understand 
is to look at the opposite of it. So if we can understand what the opposite is, well, then it helps us understand sometimes a concept that is a little bit difficult. Uh, so, again, the goal for today is to kind of help promote a better understanding and an appreciation of God's love for us by considering his wrath. Um, because, again, there's a lot of people in the world who have trouble reconciling those two concepts, God's wrath and his love. Um, lots of people might ask the question, you know, if, if, if God is love, like, like he says he is and like we say that he is as Christian people, then why would God allow all the suffering that exists in the world that we live in today? If, if God is a good God, if God is a loving God, why wouldn't he just take hell off the table and route everybody to heaven? You know, that, that could be a really big question. That is a big question for some people. I, I recently read this. It's a quote from a, a pretty, I guess, pretty famous British skeptic, a guy who was an atheist named Bertrand Russell, and he said that one reason he would not choose to follow Jesus was because Jesus clearly believed in hell, and he clearly believed in the wrath of God. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, There is no doctrine which he would more willingly remove from Christianity if it were within his power to do so. Talking about the wrath of God. But you see, he didn't have the power to do that, and, and we don't have the power to do that either. Um, and, and even if we could do that, we should not do that. Um, a God without wrath would be a God without goodness. A uh, God without wrath would be a God without goodness. You see, one, one of those things couldn't really exist in the absence of the other. It, it just wouldn't work. And the reason it wouldn't work is because there would be no standard of comparison. There would be nothing to measure God's goodness by if we didn't understand God's wrath, if we didn't understand God's anger. Um, so I want to take you now to an Old Testament scripture from Exodus chapter 34, uh, verses 5 through 7. Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. And what's happening here, um, we find Moses going up on Mount Sinai early in the morning with a set of two new stone tablets that he, that he had been told to make so that he could go up on the mountain and receive the Ten Commandments the second time after the tablets had been broken the first time. And the scripture starting in verse 5 says this. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now I want to try to explain that just a little bit. Um, that's a, a really good description for us of God's character. It says that, that he is merciful, that he is gracious, that he is slow to anger. Um, and that statement that he is slow to anger, that, that's a statement that can give people the wrong idea sometimes. And I want to come back to that in just a few minutes. It also says that he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, it says. Um, and in my Bible, there's a footnote that says probably a more accurate translation there is that he keeps his steadfast love for a thousand generations. Now, that's, that's a different idea, for a thousand generations. Um, he forgives iniquity and the transgression and sin. Um, and here's another key phrase, who will by no means clear the guilty. Now, that's tough. He will by no means clear the guilty. In other words, there are real consequences for sin. Um, then it goes on to say that he visits the iniquity of the fathers on their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, and even great-great-great-grandchildren, all the way to the fourth generation. Now, that just doesn't seem fair, does it? That just doesn't quite seem right. And in fact... It would not be fair. Um, if my sin was a barrier that kept my great-great-great-grandchildren from finding salvation, that wouldn't be very fair. That wouldn't be very just. 
Um, but in fact, later on in Scripture, we find out that that is not exactly what was meant there. Um, Ezekiel chapter 18, 20 says this. It says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. See, our salvation is personal. Our, our choice of salvation is personal. And, and if we don't choose it for ourselves, it doesn't happen. Um, but what all that really boils down to is this. If you take those numbers to the thousand, thousand generations or to the fourth generation, if you compare those two numbers mathematically, and I see y'all didn't know y'all would get a math lesson today, uh, and I'm probably the least, least qualified person in this room to teach anybody a math lesson, but... What that tells us is that God's love is at least 250 times stronger than his wrath. Four generations, a thousand generations. That's greater by a factor of 250. That's significant. Um, God's love for us is strong. It's so strong, in fact, that he is slow to anger. Um, but again, like I said a few minutes ago, it does not subdue his anger completely. Um, and, and maybe you're thinking, if God is merciful, if God is gracious, if a God is abounding in steadfast love, how can he still refuse to clear the guilty? That just doesn't, again, doesn't quite sound right. Um, If God is just, how could anybody be found guilty, right? That's a question we'd love to ask. And the answer to that question is Jesus. And I'm going to explain that a whole lot more as I go along here. But the answer to the question is Jesus. <clears throat> but in the beginning, the Scripture tells us that what God did in the very, very beginning, way back at the very beginning of Genesis, it tells us that God brought order out of chaos, but the simple fact is that when sin and evil entered the world, the world, God's creation, began to descend back into chaos. That's what happened when sin and evil entered the world. Um, sin disrupted God's perfect order. Um, but because God loves us, because he loves us so much, he won't just sit idly by and watch us, watch his creation descend back into chaos. He won't do that because he loves us. God's anger is kindled against the evil and the injustice that exists in this world for sure. Um, but God wants us to spend eternity with him in heaven. He wants us to choose a right relationship with him. But heaven is a place where God's presence is constant and eternal. And sin cannot exist in the presence of God. That those two things don't go together. That would be like me telling you that I'm Batman, and then all of a sudden you see me and Batman in the same room together. It just doesn't work, right? You'd know pretty quick that I wasn't Batman, right? It just, sin will not exist, cannot exist in the presence of God. Those two things cannot exist together. I read another quote this week that said, God's anger is the unrelenting, uncompromising, and steadfast antagonism toward injustice in all of its forms. Now, maybe somebody would say, if God is so good, if God is so just, why wouldn't he just get rid of all the sin and all the evil that exists in the world today? Why, why wouldn't he do that? Well, I would ask you this question. If he did, if God all of a sudden decided to wipe out all the sin and all the evil that exists in our world, who'd be left? Who'd be left? That's it. Not me. Not me. Um, there's another concept that I was, I was introduced to just recently, um, and I want to talk to you about that one for just a minute too, and that is the passive wrath of God. See, most of the time when we think about the wrath of God, we're thinking about God, you know, standing there with a lightning bolt ready to strike somebody down. But there is also the passive wrath of God, uh, and it plays a huge role in our lives and in the world today. 
the, path, the passive wrath of God, it goes back really to the idea that I mentioned earlier that sin has real consequences, and the consequences of sin are far-reaching. Um, and what the idea really means is that sometimes, quite often in fact, God allows us to suffer the consequences of our own bad choices. That's the passive wrath of God, allowing us to suffer the consequences of our own bad choices. If you think about it, it happened to Adam and Eve there in the garden. They chose to be disobedient to God, and then when they realized that they were naked, they realized what they had done. They tried to hide from God. They tried to remove themselves from the presence of God. Um, and as a consequence of what they did there, they chose to hide themselves from God. What eventually happened was that they were removed from the garden. They were removed from the presence of God. You see, when we choose to act in disobedience to God's will, when we choose to act in disobedience to God's word, again, there are real consequences, and a lot of times we suffer from those consequences. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in Romans chapter 5. Um, and, and from these words, what he's saying is that, that we can learn a lot about God and about God's nature. Um, we can learn about, a lot about God's wrath even from looking at creation, from looking at what God created and how God set things into order. Romans chapter 5, Paul writes this. He said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So God, when he created the world, set principles into place. Um, and, and some of those principles... Uh, they show us, or should at least show us, that there are consequences for the bad choices that we make in our lives. Um, something like, you know, what goes up must come down, right? There, there's an equal and an opposite reaction. Sir Isaac Newton discovered that, that for every action, there's a, an equal and opposite reaction. But as smart as Isaac Newton was, all he did was discover something that God had already set into motion a long, long time ago, um, but the, now the, the, the wrath of God, like I mentioned earlier, is not just an Old Testament kind of thing. Jesus himself, again, fully believed and fully understood God's wrath. He, he fully understood the consequences of sin. Um, and that is the thing that ultimately brought him to the cross to die there as a sacrifice for the consequences of our sin. And as he hung there and died on that cross that day so long ago, he felt the full wrath of God. While he hung there on that cross and died, he felt the full wrath of God. But even before that happened, he understood it. John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus said this. He said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains. I read another thing this week. I did a lot of reading this week, y'all. Um, but I read another thing this week that said Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven. And he described it more vividly. There is no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the horror of hell. Jesus described hell as a place of eternal torment, a place of unquenchable fire, a place where the worm will not die, which is um, really to say that it's a place where the guilt and the shame of our disobedience will continue to gnaw at us, to continue to eat at us. It's a place where there would be gnashing of teeth, he said, um, where there would be anguish and regret, a place of Outer darkness, he said, a place where God's light doesn't shine. Um, but in a lot of ways, hell is God giving people what they've been asking for all along. In a lot of ways, hell is God giving people what they have chosen for themselves along the way. Um, 
Matter of fact, here you go. The, some of the last words in Scripture in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, 11, uh, the, the angel proclaims these words. He says, the time is coming. The time is coming near. Do not close up the word of the book of prophecy. He said, there will come a time when he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. When he is, who is filthy, let him be filthy still. When he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. But he who is holy, let him be holy still. You see, that's a stark warning. Um, what that says, what that tells us, or what it should tell us at least, is that one day it'll be too late. One day it'll be too late for us to choose salvation through Jesus Christ. There will come a time when people who have chosen their own way for so long are consumed by choosing their own way. C.S. Lewis again said this. He said, in the end, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. Two kinds of people. The people who would say to God, thy will be done, and the people to whom God would say, thy will be done. But you see, that doesn't happen easily. It doesn't happen very easily at all because God, in fact, went to great lengths to prevent that from happening. Jesus went to the cross and paid the ultimate price to give us a choice in the matter. Jesus paid the ultimate price. Now, going back to those, those first few verses of Scripture that I read in Exodus 34, again, it said that God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. I'm told that the Aramaic translation of those words, which would have been the translation that Jesus himself studied, um, it says that God makes anger distant and brings compassion near. God makes his anger distant, but he brings his compassion near. You see, God chose on his own to let his love, to let his compassion for us take the front seat over his anger against our sin. Y'all, that's good news. God is fully justified, though, to feel anger, to feel wrath against the sin that, that happens in our lives, the sin that exists in this world. But, but the glorious thing about it all is that God chose mercy. He chose mercy. He chose not to treat us the way that we deserve to be treated. That's what mercy is. And in Jesus, he offered us grace. And he did that because he loves us. What grace means is that he chose in Jesus to treat us far better than what we deserved. That's an amazing thing. Now, we sang that song just a minute ago about how he who knew no sin became sin. Well, here's a few verses from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, so we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Even while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. That's the story of Easter. That's the story of Easter. Even while we were yet sinners, God sent his only begotten son to die as a sacrifice for our sin. Um, but first he sent him to live as an example for us, and then to die as a sacrifice, and then to be raised from the dead so that we might have hope, that we might have assurance of salvation, that we might have assurance of eternity. And now Jesus is there. He's ascended into heaven. He sits at God's right hand, and he intercedes on our behalf. He sits there as a constant reminder that the penalty for the sins of those who choose to believe in him have been forgiven. He sits there as a reminder of that. Um, he sits there as a reminder that it would be unjust to punish people for sins that have already been paid for. 
It would be unjust to punish people for sin that's already been paid for. And y'all, Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. You see, we would prefer to minimize God's wrath. Because if we can do that, if we can minimize God's wrath, it makes us feel safe. But it's not a good idea. Um, and we really can't do that or we shouldn't do that because we all have a conscience. We all have a conscience that tells us that God's wrath is real if we pay attention to it. Um, and that's the thing that brings us to the cross. When, when our conscience tells us that, that we are not worthy, that we are really, at the end of the day, just filthy, wretched sinners, that's the thing that brings us to the cross. That's the thing that causes people to cast themselves at the feet of Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Um, to realize that we are really only worthy of God's wrath. But because He loves us, again, He gave His only begotten Son to die in our place. See, that's the gospel in about five words. Jesus instead of me. That was four. Jesus did it instead of me. Um, Timothy Keller wrote this. He said, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we have ever dared to believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. We are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared to hope. Ladies and gentlemen, again, that is the good news of the gospel. Martin Luther said this. He said, the voice of condemnation speaks truly. And he's talking about the voice inside, our conscience speaking to us. He said, the voice of condemnation speaks truly, but God speaks a louder word. The voice of condemnation whispers, you are finished. You are finished. Jesus trumps that with a shout and says, it is finished. It is finished. Not I got it started, now you work on the rest. Jesus said, it is finished. Um, but finally now, and I'm almost done, we should not confuse the fact that God is slow to anger, as Scripture tells us that He is, with the absence of His anger. Again, that's a real bad idea. Um, here are some words that that Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and its works that are done on it will be exposed. You see, the promise of Easter, the promise of the cross, the reality of those things, the, the promise of an empty tomb should show us, if nothing else, that God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises. And for all the unrighteousness and all the injustice, He's promised judgment. He's promised that it will happen. But for now, and maybe just right now, because nobody knows the day or the hour, but, but for now, He's given us time to repent. He's given us time to repent, to, to seek forgiveness, to seek a right relationship with Him through His only Son, Jesus. And if you're here today, if you're listening online today, whatever the case may be, and you hadn't done that, I want to urge you to do that. And don't wait. Don't wait. Because one day, it'll be too late. One day, it'll be too late. Um, if you know somebody who hadn't done that, I, I would invite you to... to Urge them to do it. If you know somebody who's never heard the good news of the gospel, share it with them. They need to hear it. Um, and, and they need to hear it before it's too late. God loves us. He loves us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die for us. God took the initiative even while we were yet sinners. 
That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing realization of God's love for us. God's wrath is very real. God's wrath is very dangerous. It's not something to be toyed with, but the simple fact is this. And this is the thing that I want you to hold on to today because remember, I didn't intend for this to be all hellfire and brimstone. Nobody, nobody wants you to escape God's wrath more than God. Nobody wants you to escape God's wrath more than God. Nobody wants to see you in heaven for eternity more than God does. Nobody. Um, but the choice is yours. God has offered us the gift of salvation, but it is a gift that has to be received. Um, I read one more story this week, and it was a story about a guy named George Wilson. Um, in 1833, George Wilson was convicted on some political crimes, um, robbing a mailman and, and opening mail when he shouldn't have, and apparently that was a real serious crime back then. But he was ultimately sentenced to death. Um, 1833. The president at the time, who was, I think, Andrew Jackson, if I remember that right, granted George Wilson a pardon. He granted him a pardon not to be executed, and he refused to accept the pardon. He actually litigated against the pardon. He went to court himself on behalf of himself in an attempt to refuse the pardon that he had been offered by the president. And eventually, the United States Supreme Court heard that case. And what they found was, or what they decided was, that a pardon was a gift. It was something that had to be received, that had to be accepted. If it was not accepted on behalf of the person who was granted the pardon, it was no good. And because he refused to accept it, he spent 11 years in prison. He, he did avoid the death penalty, but he spent 11 more years in prison when the president had issued him a full pardon. That's how God's love for us is. See, in Jesus, God's offered us a full pardon for our sins. He, he's, an, he's offered us an opportunity to avoid the death penalty. But it's a gift that has to be accepted. It's a gift that has to be received. He's not going to force it on us. I've heard God's goodness and God's love um, described as a door that only has a handle on one side, and that's our side. And Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. But because that handle's on our side, we have to be the ones to open the door and let him in. He won't kick it down. We have to be the ones to open that door and allow him to come in. So if you've never done that, I want to invite you to do it today. Not, not out of fear, but because lo God loves you, because God took the initiative even while we were yet sinners. And if you already made the decision to choose Jesus, the other encouragement that I want to give you today is to keep choosing Jesus. There will be bad days, but keep choosing Jesus. And if you do that, the end, the finish, the, the way that this war ends is sure. And that's an eternity with him. Just keep choosing Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. And Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be here in your house. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here in this place. Lord, I thank you for each person gathered here today and for each family represented here today. And Lord, thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that in him, through his sacrifice, you have offered us salvation, Lord. You have offered us an opportunity to spend our eternity with you in heaven. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here today who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that they would come to know you today. While it is still called today, as the Scripture says, Lord, because one day it will be too late. Lord, work in our hearts and our minds, Lord. Help us, those of us who have chosen Jesus, Lord, help us to go out into the world and to show others Jesus, Lord. Let others see Jesus through us. Let us be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ in this world, Lord, that your kingdom would be built up, that it would be for your glory, for the glory of your kingdom, that we might all spend eternity in your presence in heaven as you desire. And Lord, I ask all these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.
is called.